I'm in Max, Max, Max. You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to Season 28, Episode 4 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Kurt. I'm Jim. I'm Eric. And we've got some people here from Strategicon, and we've got Kurt here, who, congratulations on your, on uh, the success of your Kickstarter, and may it only go higher. Uh, in this episode of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, Orcon 2021, which will be virtual. That's uh, Eric and Jim are here to, uh, great, graciously agreed to join us to discuss that. And uh, Chris from Scotland, Scotland. Chris from Scotland uh, revisits the social skill debate, an oldie but a goodie, and Allervant sends us a horror story. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Don't have a lot of backlog on emails, so if you have something you want to question, you want to send, or a horror story, we loves them horror stories, uh, go ahead and send that in. Uh, we're on the social medias, Happy Jacks RPG, all one word, at Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and MeWe, and we still have that subreddit, r slash Happy Jacks, apparently, and the most recent thing in there is like five years, no, three years old? It's a long time ago. So, And also, if you'd like to watch the show live... We do the show on Friday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific time at happyjacks.org slash live. That's happyjacks.org slash live. All right. So um, how, how are you guys going to... Uh, obviously, you haven't done a convention since last Orcon, uh, a, a, a in-person one. Mm-hmm. That's correct, yeah. Right. So how, yeah. How, how are you handling uh, doing this, the, this vir- the virtual game conventions? Uh, well, uh, right now what we're doing and what we have done uh, since uh, pretty much uh, um, May of last year uh, is to hold our convention primarily on our Discord server. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we actually had, uh, for our first time out with that, we actually had a surprisingly uh, good turnout Um for games and events uh, that are that went on uh, practically virtually, uh, using everything from just straight up talking on Discord uh, to people, you know, moving uh, LARPs to uh, Zoom, which are, is a little bit easier to handle uh, more visual stuff. Uh, in my department, there's uh, there's a lot of Roll Twenty and uh, uh, tabletop uh, simulators, of course, uh, as well as uh, with uh, board games and the like. Um, so you know. It's been a struggle for everybody lately, of course. And, you know, what our primary goal uh, with this virtual convention um, is not so much to try to replicate our live convention, uh, although we try to make it as accessible and intuitive, quote unquote, as as we can, uh, comparable to the live con. But more to the point, what we want to make sure is that we uh, remind people that we're still around. We're not... We didn't go anywhere. Uh, COVID didn't put the kibosh on the fun. The fun is still here. And although we're all very much looking forward to uh, seeing each other in person, and I, I, I have to say, I, I miss you guys a, a great deal uh, from seeing you there and being able to go over to the studio and actually do this kind of thing live. Um, all right. I, you know, I feel everybody's pain. But, you know, it's one of those, uh, it's, it's better than nothing. And 
you know, what the function of this convention is, is, is about community. And the only way that we can actually still foster that community and keep it as vibrant as we possibly can is to reach out with whatever venue or modality we can to make sure that people still connect. And, uh, you know, that's what we're here for. And uh, what are the dates of the upcoming game convention? The Virginia. 12th through 15th of February. Sorry, one more time? So Friday. Yeah, uh, February 12th through 15th, uh, which is just a little over a week away. Back is a week away. Days a week from today. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a week from today. And is there like a, a landing page or someplace people could go to to get started with it, or how do they? Absolutely, www.strategicon.net. Uh, and uh, once you uh, log in there and have a login, uh, you can actually uh, pre-register for these games. And once you are registered for these games and, ha- and have purchased, uh, it's a five dollar badge, right? Yeah, five dollar badge. And five dollar badge. Game, pre- game pre-registration starts tomorrow at noon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, you know, you got a badge, you're pre-registered, uh, you'll be given a link to our Discord right previous to the con. Uh, we don't really give it to you a, a long time before. Pretty much uh, on Friday, we'll be sending those out, and then you'll have access to the Discord server. Uh, and once you have access to the Discord server, just think of it as sort of like a, a, a virtual hotel room uh, <laughs> that you can go, a hotel that you can go from room to room. And, right. and, and look at the different events. All of our, our Discord server is very well organized. We have some really brilliant people uh, 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 like Rob Prag, who's been very helpful in sort of automating a lot of this stuff and getting things to go right, uh, who uh, is uh, one of the uh, volunteers in our LARPs department, uh, mm-hmm. who has basically just stepped up. It's amazing how many people have just stepped up from you know the cracks that have these kind of skills and uh, things to share that have really made this as successful as we more successful than we possibly imagine. But once you have your badge, you, you have free reign on the Discord, uh, and uh, you're going to sign up for games during the con. And there are, especially in my department, there are people barking for players because they'll just start up a job. Uh, they're, they'll just start up a game on the fly and draw players in, and I'll give them a Discord channel to, to use. So there, it's plenty of activity, plenty, plenty of things going on. Uh, you know, I, I, there are plenty of games on the books. I, I highly suggest anybody, especially if you're uh, foreign and have never experienced the Strategic Con because of distance, come out here and check this out and check out the community and just check out what everybody's been talking about for so long. It's, it's uh, there are no more, it, now it's RPGs without borders, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's fantastic. How, do you do you have any any idea how many events you've got? So far, yeah, uh, I, I actually have. Let's see, I can actually tell you right now. That's I have. Um, it's it's uh, you know, of course, it's not as many as uh, as I would have as at a, at a live convention because at a live convention, I'd have slightly over a hundred between a hundred and hundred forty uh, uh, active events. But right now, I have you could do about twenty five events. Uh, uh, but you know, a lot of them are multi-table events, uh, large D and D, uh, sprawling games, and so on and so forth. And you know, we're not uh, because this is virtual. One of the upsides is I'm no longer locked to my you know 9 a.m. 2 p.m. Uh, 8 p.m. track at all. But I am totally, uh, and, and it's totally open. So there'll be games literally running uh, the entire weekend, nonstop. Oh. Overall, we have over 200 events currently scheduled. That'll go up a little bit more, uh, but that's about right. 
it's about right where we're going to end up. It'll probably about 250 when all said and done. Which, as opposed to a normal Orcon, would be about 800 to a 900 events. Sure, right. But that's, I mean, that's fantastic. And at least it's keeping your name out there as well. And people, yeah. you, you don't have to worry about people thinking, well, I wonder if they still exist. It's like, yeah, they do. Uh, attendance, attendance-wise, I'll give this uh, this sacred info out. It's about a third of the live con. We get about 800 to 900 people, which mm-hmm. is pretty good, all things considered. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's far cry from what we do in person. But you know, still, we were very pleased. I mean, we are. We first, the first one we did was GameX, and we just gave it away. Said, "Here, let's just see how this goes." Mm-hmm. We planned for about two hundred people and got eight hundred, and we were like, ah! "Wow!" <laughs> so you can imagine the chaos on the Discord side. I bet we learned a lot. We learned a lot. No, and I also consider that this is the first time we'd ever tried anything like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the majority of our department heads were not super familiar with Discord and that kind of stuff. Because, uh, of course, this was a little bit early on in the whole pandemic where, you know, n- nowadays, this is Zoom and that kind of thing is old hat to everybody because right. that's how people live. But back then, it was just running around in circles. Uh, a few people, I have to say, were incredibly overworked and incredibly generous with their time and effort uh, that made the thing uh, that made the thing really go. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's really impressive and just shows that you know, we're 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 more than just a, a, a management group, but really a family because we really sort of really came together and are, are in our commitment to to our clientele slash fandom slash you know the, our extended family really. Right. Um, and uh, it, I I was really set set aback by uh, the amount of work people were willing to do to make something like this function. Is uh, is chaos in the Discord, the pandemic version of Panic at the Disco. <laughs> Chaos in the Discord. You know, actually, Eric, we should make a fake band. Oh, and by the way, Tappy also has just joined us. For those of you listening at home, hello, hey, everybody. Hey. <clears throat> All right. Is it- I had to start with a joke because you know that's my brand. <laughs> right. <laughs> anything else? Anything else that, we, that that people need to know about uh, Orcon twenty twenty one? Really? Uh, no. Other than we really, 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 really want to go live soon. It's driving right. a stir crazy. Everybody does. <laughs> but trust and believe, man. We have our fingers on as many pulses as possible to try to make that uh, reality as soon as possible. Sure. Well, I don't know if you guys heard they just canceled the twenty twenty one season of the Renaissance Pleasure Fair. So that's two straight years that that company's not going to have any revenue. That's amazing. Well, you know, it's it, it's 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 a true problem for uh, a lot of people and, oh, yeah. and, and a lot of uh, type of companies that really rely on the revenue from the previous event or product to fund the next one, uh, which sadly seems to be the case uh, for uh, gaming uh, institutions in general. Right. If if your last supplement doesn't sell well, you, you have troubles putting together the next one, so to speak. And uh, you know, it, and and really, the only reason we have that nominal five dollar fee is to just cover the few uh, things to make sure that we we stay healthy and viable. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's uh, I, I think that I mean not to blow any sunshine of Eric's uh, nippers here, but I think that. This uh, con is actually extremely well managed um, and uh, very. Wait a minute, uh, 
Eric Aldrich? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I should mention that I that, that, that Eric and I went to high school together. <laughs> <laughs> and college. And college. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, yeah, I, it's uh, you know that there there have been a lot of other West Coast conventions that have had some serious troubles. I mean, I'm not going to bad enough to talk about anybody at all, but you know, this is just a hard time for everybody. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, you know, it, and, and a lot of efforts to uh, to bring things on virtually and and, and uh, uh, to some limited success for one and, and, and less success for others. But you know, uh, I, it it also brings into mind how is this going to change the entire product that we uh, that we give? You know, are right. people going to become used to virtual uh, uh, conventions and, and virtual meeting places? Uh, is that something that's going to expand upon or, or sort of change the way that we do business? We don't know yet, but, you know, uh, we, we live in, in a really, uh, really interesting times, according to the Chinese proverb. So uh, we'll see how we change with, 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 with those factors. I, I, I have a feeling that that uh, when the all clears given, things are, are going to go rapidly back to very close to normal. Because, I mean... We're, we are social animals. I mean, and it, I don't know anyone who isn't, like, kind of dying on the vine a little bit by not being able to be around their friends. You know what I mean? It's just... Hey, I'm a hardcore introvert. Single child, and we traveled a lot around the country, and I'm sort of used to being alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of times I seek it out. I need it in my life. But even at this point, I mean, I'm starting to start crawling at, at, at the door as well, going... Dude, I got to see my friends to the point where, you know, I said, Lori, I'm sorry if I bring home COVID, but I'm going to go see Mike and we're going to hang out for a little bit. We're going to stay socially distant and we're not going to go anywhere public. We're just going to meet in this one place, but I'm going to see my friend because I have to. Um, but, you know, it, 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 I'm certain that everybody can relate to that kind of thing. Absolutely. Uh, and I honestly expect the the full on next live con that we have to be explosive. 5,000 people. It's going to be opening of a floodgate <laughs> where, you know, everybody's going, finally! It's going to be like a Gen Con West. 50,000 people. All hotels booked. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to worry about the details. You can deal with logistics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like there's hyperbole, Stu, and then there's threats. Meant to cause mental distress, <laughs> which is you know what we've expected from this group. But nonetheless, no, I mean I really think it's going to be a big one. I think people are going to just breathe this collective sigh of relief and want to come over here and just be with their friends. And you know, it, and we, to be honest, everybody's sort of either uh, been in some real scares or actually legitimately lost some people mm-hmm. uh, during this time. Uh, I know that I have uh, a very dear acquaintance of mine who is. Uh, a GM whose family was involved with volunteering, who's just uh, a fantastic member of my community that unfortunately passed away uh, from COVID. Um, and, you know, I'm certain that the other people, other groups are going to have similar stories. So, you know, uh, one of the things that I really want to do is just sort of set, maybe set up some kind of memorial or something in, at the con for people to oh, sure. be able to, you know, come together and talk about, you know, people that are maybe, uh, just share experiences or talk about the people that are no longer with us or whatever. But, you know, this is a traumatic experience that needs some healing. And as, you know, part of 
of building a community, you have to provide something for that. Well, also, I think one thing that may happen is kind of how our lives have changed the Zoom meetings and people not necessarily going into work or going places as much. If you get used to that, then going to events will become a very big deal, right? Because you're not getting that. And, and when events are, are available, right? And like basically the, the all clear, as Stu said, um, those events may end up just becoming more, much more important to kind of like the collective consciousness of our society um, because we do need that sort of uh, uh, socialization and we get so much less than we used to in our normal lives. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know what? I may continue to wear a mask, especially at game conventions. So can you imagine no con crud? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we'll be giving out masks for the foreseeable future. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think we could put a brand on. I'm I'm cool with that. (laughs) I I get half a dozen colds a year, and I haven't gotten sick since in a year. It's been a year since I've gotten a cold. Which, for people who know my my health, that is. (laughs) So I'm I'm like sold on that. Same here. Actually, it's been over a year since I've had a cold. Yeah, I've had a couple uh, stuffed up noses, but that's as far as it's gotten. That could just be to dust or what have you oh yeah now i i know for certain when i am am having allergies because i'll my nose will get clogged up a little bit and i'll sniffle and then i just take my allergy spray and it's gone in a few hours but whereas with a cold spray 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 uh, doesn't seem to be working i'll use more spray 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 spray. (laughs) (laughs) that always works (laughs) right okay um uh uh, um uh kurt do you want to read the first email Chris from Scotland and the social skills debate? Yeah, I don't have a Scottish... Well, I can do a Scottish accent, but I have to yell it, and I'm afraid I'll peek the mic, so I'm not going to do it. Turn the mic down. Every, do I it. think everyone has to yell the Scottish accent. It's also... I think it's the same with the Australian. The uh, Scottish call it anger. <laughs> <laughs> to, to get into it, I have to... So, I don't know if anybody played uh, The Lost Minds of Fandelver. But I have to yell Gundren Rockseeker to get into my Scottish accent. Uh, when are you going to get into your hey. Scottish accent? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> fine. Uh, I'm just going to talk. Okay. Uh, social skills from Chris in Scotland. Hey, happy jackers. Profound thanks for your... I'm. Uh, this is me from Scotland who doesn't have a Scottish accent. Right. Profound thanks from your entertaining and thoughtful thought-provoking podcast. Don't ever stop. We won't. Uh, so, I've just been listening to Season 27, Episode 14, and the one where Andreas from Sweden prompts you to revisit the debate about intelligence stats, and, now, uh, and how they're kind of necessary sometimes, like when you play a character who's smarter than you are. Like and Stu goes on... Yeah. <laughs> right? And more common sense. <laughs> Can I just roll and know this? Uh, and Stu goes on to say that if there's a social situation where a player character needs to persuade an NPC to do something, Stu would much prefer them to role play the scene and talk it out because it's way more fun than just rolling the dice. I can see Stu's point, but here's my point. Just as strength and intelligence can vary from one person to another, so does social ability. I, I'm, I know this is going to be a good topic. Uh, in my case, I, I love role-playing games. I've played them since first edition AD&D. 
but I can be hopeless in social situations. I was recently diagnosed autistic, which kind of explains it. I'm just not as capable of navigating tricky social situations as some other people are. My brain just isn't made that way. I guess I'd be happy to try to roleplay a social situation, but there's a non-zero chance I'll either completely fuck it up or just not know how to even start. So maybe there's a place where they're for rolling dice, too. Or I might just stop and ask the other folks around the table for help, and we can talk it over together. If there isn't some form of help available to guide me through these social situations, I'm likely to just shut up and avoid these situations as much as I can. And that's not much fun. And I really don't want to play characters like me all the time. It'd be so great to play someone with good social skills. I just need a little help and a few hints to ease my way through them. Another aspect of the problem is when my fellow players are very skilled at networking and negotiating and schmoozing in real life, they tend to very rapidly take over the game, leaving me on the sidelines. What do you think? Can you suggest a way to make a game work and be fun, even if it has me playing in it? Don't forget to have a drink. Your very good, he- uh, your very good health, Chris, in lockdown in Scotland. I'm drinking Thank water. <laughs> I, I got a coke. <laughs> I was late, so I forgot to grab a beer. I know. Oh, I, here's here's one. Here, I'll put it through the screen so you can. There you go. Oh, okay, cool. Um, thank you. That's the dragon. Pour it note. directly into the webcam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, that <laughs> works. <I get> it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the last time I was on, I posited this idea of um, uh, not doing so much improv or not doing any improv in role playing games. And part of like my idea for that and why I was thinking of it is because a friend of mine who was recently diagnosed on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And she wants to be a, like, you know, even if not even like a charismatic person, but she wants to, to role play. But being in character, just her mind doesn't do it well. And, and she gets very awkward, doesn't really get what's going on, and just kind of shuts down, doesn't want to do it. And so, so I think this is a kind very of a good similar topic. situation. What's that? A similar situation to what's posited here. Yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of why like I'm I'm going back to that concept and like maybe going all the way forward like swinging to the other side like I'm going to true with that game is not the right idea. It's almost definitely not the right idea. Um no, it's definitely not the right idea. But uh but it's an interesting thing that needs to be tackled. Um because off I mean there are a lot of people who are on the spectrum that are in our hobby. Mm-hmm. And those people you know, need to be thought of when we're doing these things. And that's kind of why gaminess and rolling dice and stuff sort of, I think, needs to be a part of the discussion. But also, like as Stu says, just rolling dice and being done with it kind of, like, doesn't really help the situation or kind of makes it boring. Um, So my thought has always been on this is instead of rolling to see how well you do, you roll to see how well the other person is going to receive you. So That's if you roll kind of... well with your charisma, the, you know already that that other person is going to like you and receive what you are saying is like well. That, and that the is... GM is told not to argue. Right. That is the that is the the GURPS way of doing social skills. 
Yeah. You, your social um, skills in GURPS, you have a reaction role. Now, you, it, may be a, it may be a role that is, uh, that's modified by you know, if you have levels of attractiveness or charisma or if there's something about you that this person in particular would, would, would like or they, they would be more deferential to you. But, but the basic reaction role is a, is a core mechanic in, in GURPS, which is you, you, if you get, a, if you get a, a good result, the person is going to be more willing to help you out with what it is you want to do. And if you get a, a worse result, mm, tough luck. And it really, it doesn't really have anything to necessarily. Now there, there are social skills. There's fast talk and stuff like that. But see, one of, one of the things that I kind of rail against in social with social skills in games in general is I think they are t- terrifically unrealistic. I mean, I don't think it's if I don't want to do something. And there's a and, and it is in my own self interest to not want to do something. There is no way someone coming up and just talking to me is going to convince me to do that. Like if it's like, oh, let let us we, we want to go over. Like let's say I'm a I'm a security guard at a at a military installation someplace, and you guys want to and someone wants to get in. If assuming I like my job. Or I want to keep my job, let's say that. That's probably a high enough bar. You're not getting in unless you have the badge or whatever it is you need to have. Period. I mean, it's not... It, I'm going to be intractable. And I think that is... That is the... It, it, in a lot of, of situations in role-playing games where someone tries to talk their way past someone, that is the, that is the situation... That's the way it's going to be. You're not going to get past someone unless you happen to find that... <clears throat> one guard who just doesn't give a shit and no one's realized that this guy doesn't give a shit so he still has his job so i i mean to me social skills i mean you can have a fast talk role and stuff like that i suppose but i, I just don't like them but to me if you're going to try to get someone to do something that is not in their interest to do you have to have some kind of leverage to do that. And that's where I think rather than having, the, we're going to need to fast talk, we're going to need to do this. It's like, let's find out about this person, the mark that we're going to try to get past. Is there a way we can do it? Can we find out, oh, look, there's a guy on second shift who, who, who's a, a, a security guard who really doesn't give a shit. And we can probably just bribe him for 50 bucks and get past him. Or maybe this guy's embezzling money from the company or he's stealing stuff out the back door and we find out about it. Maybe you can leverage the guy with a little bit of blackmail or something like that. You know what I mean? And, and I think those, those kind of situations, to me, that's a way more interesting solution than to either, okay, I'm going to try to convince the guy that I'm not who I say that I'm, that I, I'm, uh, a senior manager in the company and I, and I let, and I lost my pass, but I need to get to my office right away. I mean, there's maybe, I mean, that that's off the top of my head. That's what, I mean, I think at a minimal level, that's what I would want from someone. If they're going to make a, a fast talk thing, you don't have to role play the whole thing out, but tell me what your approach is going to be. And then we can, we can kind of go, eh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe the guy's stupid, but most people don't hire, especially if it's a place they don't want people getting into. They don't hire stupid security guards. <laughs> at least not like real dumb you know what i mean yeah those are parking lots right <laughs> <laughs> sorry anybody who works in a parking lot <laughs> yeah 
my take on the whole security guard, they're not going to let you in. Obviously, it's a military installation. That's a different protocol, right? But if it's a guard who's either not very well trained or hastily trained, every time I think of fast talking past a guard, I look at Beverly Hills Cop and Axel Foley as my example. And he goes where he pleases. Uh, It does not matter (laughs) what the person's job is. He's going to get in where he wants to be. Uh, Because it's funny. It's a good story. And so at the table, I want to be able to tell that story if that's what the players want to be able to tell. And so I think it can be cool to let them talk their way past guards Mm -hmm. and to use fast talk skills in that way. So I... I think it's okay to have that stuff in our like in the fiction of our worlds, even if it's not realistic. Right. I, I think. I mean, personally, I agree with Stu again here. Like, I don't think fast talk exists. Right. I don't think persuasion actually exists because, like, or you have a con skill. Like, what is a con? A con is 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 confidence. It's it's getting somebody to like you, mm-hmm. and that's how you do these things. If you don't have the proper certification, you have to get this person to like you. And if it's a guard, they don't. If you have some kind of way to sit around and talk with them and chatter or whatever, and, and you're not even getting into their head, you're just being like affable. I mean, if you're a dick, the more you're a dick, usually the more they're going to be fuck you. And even if you say, like, I am some sort of high, like, official or I'm a, a general or some shit, you're going to have to have a accoutrement that support that, kind of like Stu was saying with the batch. So, like, either you have tools that you figured out and prepared ahead, or you have some kind of leverage, leverage that you figured out or done ahead, or they like you. But, like, this idea of, like, fast-talking them until they get confused and they don't know what's going on and you get past them... Or that persuade is like, boy, you're the greatest debater anyone has ever seen. And you're going to show all of your support that you need to get in, in, into that secure compound. Um, you know, and, you know, tell the guard he has a fallacious argument. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just not going to happen. Um, and, and oftentimes, you know, role-playing games are written by people who maybe don't have the best social skills ever and it's just like oh well i wish there was just a thing you could do to get what you wanted um or it's or it's kind of like a honestly it's it's kind of lazy because the idea is people will role play this out so why do you even have that much of a mechanic right and the answer to that is there are people whose brains just don't work that way Sure. Well, one of the things I talk about, because I, I, I kind of wrote like almost like a little treatise in Moment of Truth about social skills. And there are a couple of social skills. There's a lying skill, which is your ability to tell someone something that isn't true and make it sound convincing. There's a, there's a skill where you can read someone and see and, 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 and at least get by their body language or expressions, kind of know whether or not something is working or not. And then there's a similar skill for, uh, of course, there's acting, which is to be able to feign emotions and, and, and be able to stop someone else from reading you. And then there's also like a read crowd skill, which is kind of a different thing. But I don't have the, the basic kind of social skills you have because those are all covered by other skills. So if I need to get past this guard, I'm not going to use a blackmail skill. I'm going to go over, I'm going to shadow the guy while he's you know off 
and find out what if I can find out some dirt on them and and and, and see if there's some way that that I can gain leverage that way or or something like that. Now I, I will say to Kurt's point is this absolutely depends on what kind of you know flavor or color of game you want to run. Because if you are wanting trying to run like a Beverly Hills Cop game, yeah, you want him to be able to be able to get wherever he needs to get. Because that's part that's part of the that's kind of part of the conceit of that story. Then again, you have something like Ocean's Eleven, where it's like, oh, we, we're going to need to get uh, get the badge off this guard. So they go through this big elaborate thing where they try to figure out, you know, where's this guy's weakness and how can we, you know, get leverage in on this guy. So I mean, and and that, and that really just depends on the kind of story and the t- kind of game that you want to play. You know, my preference is. I guess would be sort of like the idealized, but it kind of never happens, um, uh, Shadowrun game, where the party sits down and immaculately plans everything out and says, okay, well, how are we getting in here? Oh, we don't know. Okay, we need to go on an intel mission and find out everything we can about this first. So we go on to our intel mission, we find out the information. Okay, now we get back at head HQ. And, and see, that, to me, that would be so much fun to, to run that. You ever play Leverage? Because that's every game of Leverage. See, I have, a, I have Leverage. I got a review copy of it years ago. And I've always wanted to play it. Cause I, and I love that show. Something similar to you. Pardon? Um, it flips Blade, it. Blades in the Dark sort of flips it, yeah. Um, uh, but I, I think that we're, we're, we're kind of missing something here in that what role-playing game systems in a lot of ways are supposed to provide you is a way to abstract things. Sure. So you can simulate a different style of reality, right? And what I think Chris is going on here is how can these tools be leveraged and used so I can uh, role-play something that I find socially difficult but actually want to be part of Mm -hmm. and want to make part of the story? Uh, and although, yeah, uh, uh, social skills are very problematic. Uh, whenever you're dealing with a situation where you're trying to coerce or you're basically trying to change the direction of the story by changing the nature of an NPC or a character. And that can get sometimes kind of iffy and, and difficult to manage. Um, but I, I think that when you, when you actually look at a lot of the way that these things are supposed to work, I mean, uh, going back to the Axel Foley thing, uh, pretending you're gay, the gay lover of a guy and telling him that you may have purple syphilis and you have to tell him. A major D might go be discreet, but go ahead. Um, it, 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 it's, and I think that a lot of things that you were saying, too, is like if you set up a situation where you know blackmail, leverage, coercion can work, or you have some background or an in on somebody on how to do that, it makes it a lot more believable and a lot more accessible. Um, but it, like I said, it depends on what your player wants to do, and your job as a GM is to facilitate them being able to tell the story they want to tell about their character. Right. And if their character is a super schmoozy, slick, Axel Foley type, um, it's your job to try to make it a little bit easier for you and use the mechanics to try to uh, uh, enable that player to do what they want to do within whatever you know limitations that they have as far as you know their their personal self. Um, I mean, a, a lot of times when it comes to that kind of stuff, I, I know uh, that uh, that Caddy's is very similar. Is like we we love those kind of situations. We we like to interact with NPCs, we like to interact with players, we like sort of the chattiness of it. Um, and a lot of people just don't, uh, that, or they're either uncomfortable, don't enjoy it, or don't know how to bring that up. And 
uh, you have to, as a GM, make sure that those people that aren't as, uh, you know, up to all that improv stuff are still having as good a time as anybody else. And that's what these rules are really truly intended to be. They're, they're intended to give GMs some ability to give these people a way to sort of pretend and have that pretend physically manifest on the mechanics. Um, so I, I, I personally think it's far more of a factor of you being able to read your table, being able to assess what your players need, and using those rules, even if you have to sort of morph them or interpret them in a way that makes sense for your group to facilitate those kind of activities. Um, and every game has that ability. It's just the way that you use it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, you can just say you have a charisma 16, so, you know, he's going to be more like likely to follow what you say and be less argumentative. Well, a lot of times what to... I'll do is I won't actually force the player to interact with me uh, in, in that kind of social interaction. But I do, hey, why don't you pretend like you're a person just sort of watching that conversation from afar? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. You know, are you saying something excitedly that they react to? Or are you being calm? Are you are, are you bringing up certain points that, you know, you know this person is a mother and you're talking about children to try to endear yourself? I, I have them try to narrate the situation instead of the specifics of the conversation. So they still believe that they're, uh, th- that they're creating part of that story. But then it leaves the whole thing open to be able... And, and at the end of that interaction that I described, I roll the dice. Uh, and then you can have... Uh, I can or other players, or if you want to be collaborative can actually sort of go into a, a little uh, a, a little uh, a campfire talk and go, all right, what actually did happen there? Because you know the result, you know the situation that it was in, and then you can bring other people to sort of spice up or, or, or round out the specifics about what happened when you turn into a station where everybody's helping this person create a more vivid idea of what, of what that interaction is like. So there's no need to actually, you know, this isn't a movie. We don't have to record every single line that is said and give it, you know, uh, it, it, its own uh, power. But you can actually just describe a situation and sort of narrate out how certain things uh, uh, went through, ask for some help, and then, boom, at the end of that, you actually have a, uh, a realistic scene of something that happened, and it advanced the story, and that person's character is at the core of it. Yeah, uh, one of the worst games I was ever in uh, speaking of, of that sort of thing, was uh, a guy who was uh, trying to be a uh, stand-up comedian. So he was very, very, very quick and wanted to roleplay out everything. And I was and I was much younger. I think I was like 17 or 18 at this point. Um, maybe even younger. And I was playing a bard, which was, and I was not charismatic, as you may call Jim. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he just, I tried to talk to a, this exact situation, tried to talk to a guard, and I just, he just talked rings around me and it was so frustrating because i just wanted to do this is what i wanted my character to do this is what i made my character for i just there was no and it was just not even just stonewall but just oh man it was brutal it was absolutely brutal and then i don't think i ever went back to that game but uh yeah i mean like somebody helping you figure out the situation or everybody helping you figure out the situation um or even just yeah, a less antagonistic GM. Well, yeah, that goes into that adversarial GM bullshit that I can't freaking stand uh, at all. It, you right. know, you're a player in this game. You're not... Uh, it, well, you know, it's, it's part of the gaminess, and there are some games that are a little bit more prone to that. Some 
that are less prone to that. But I, I don't know, man. Some people just want to butt heads with other people. That's all they're there for. Yeah. I, I don't really don't know if, if role playing games are really uh, the right fit for those kind of people. <laughs> there seem to be a lot of them around. So. Right. <laughs> I don't know, play magic or something, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look, I, 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 will, I will come to blows over a game of 40K sometimes, but I, I'll never do it around. Oh, my. You know, I, I, I remember definitely... playing with my friend Jason, who would have very creative measuring styles. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it getting very heated. But, you know, it's a completely different gaming experience than role playing. <laughs> I, I definitely think you should be able to talk to your GM and say, I want to play a charismatic character. I am not charismatic. I want to jump into third person or describe the type of argument or the type of conversation that my character is going to try to have. And I want to use the dice to see how well that goes. Or maybe you just tell me, oh, was I able to find out enough information to, to make an argument that would actually work on this person? That kind of stuff. Like, right. Just tell them what you want. Just talk to them about what you want. It's it's totally okay to just say, I want to see this happen for my character in this situation, and here are the mechanics I have to do it. Right. Like, yeah, that is totally a fine way to play a game sometimes. And, 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 it's also sometimes difficult to communicate with those people and, and, and get them to, to sort of see alternative ways of doing things, too. Right. Because uh, uh, mm-hmm. they're already kind of pre-discouraged about those kind of things. So. I think it's great when the player goes, look, I want to try something different and it's going to be hard and you work with the GM because that gives me as a GM when I'm GMing the opportunity to try to tailor things a little bit better for you and, and give you and hand you a better experience. And as somebody who spent years of trying to introduce people in role playing games, that's one of the most important things to know as I always have a little conversation with these people and with people that are new to role playing games. So, you know, what kind of fiction do you like? What kind of books do you read? Um, and, and sort of get get an idea of who they are to try to to, to cater some things to them. Um, and this is one of those things that you want to really bring out in public. What, what do you think your weaknesses are as part as far as a player is? And you know, um, this is this is a social contract when you go when you enter into a role playing game. And I, I think that it's very easy for a GM to break that social contract and and oh, yeah. either marginalize somebody or compete against somebody. But in the final analysis, what's true is that what game systems are supposed to do is they're supposed to fill in the gaps that lie between you and who you want to be in this game. Mm-hmm. And I, that's what they exist. Or else we'd just be playing pretend without rules. Right. You know? I, I actually think his, his the, the solution that he, he posits about basically crowdsourcing the rest of the table to kind of like if you if you if you have difficulty coming up in a in a social situation with how what sort of approach you're going to use cuz i mean <clears throat> i think as a gm i would want at least that i would want at least okay what what is your what how are you going to approach this person you don't have, we don't have to i mean if you don't want to role play the thing out we don't have to role play the thing out but how you're going to try to talk your way past this guy or whatever the situation is. What's your tactic to use here? And if you want to crowdsource that to do that, or maybe the skill role is to figure out what sort of tactic, maybe the skill role is to figure figure out what the what sort of tactic might work work on this person. You know, maybe, maybe it, instead of fast talk, it's more like a, you know, a, a body language reading thing. It's like, oh, well, this person seems to be more interested in this sort of thing. Okay, well, I'm going to try to go after that. So, I mean, I mean, you could even narrate a lot of social interactions p- 
post role as well. I think you could do the role first and then piece together what the narrative, what the what the narrative is after the fact to make it fit the success or failure of the role. Well, I think you paid pin the tail right on the donkey there, Stuart, in the fact that the purpose uh, in order to have a good role playing game, what gives it, it a, a vivid aspect is when people are descriptive about the narrative uh, and. You know, whichever way you take, whichever angle you approach it from, if you're descriptive of the narrative and, are, and add to the, the story, you've won. So you just got to figure out the best way for you and your players to be able to reach that goal. And once you do, you're golden. Uh, and also, when you crowdsource these things or when you have your GM go, and you just roll and say, just can you tell me what happens because I just want to roll. A lot of times when you come up with those descriptions, they'll listen to those descriptions and they'll go, Oh, okay. So that's how you sort of make up these scenarios. And after a while, they might just sort of learn a few tips and tricks of, on how to how to react to those kind of things, or uh, how to go. Hey, maybe I, I need a minute to, to think about this because uh, I have absolutely no problem when when you're stuck in a in a situation that's intense to give the players a little time to sort of like go through their heads and figure out how they want to attack that. Uh, sure. So you know, patience and kindness also helps with that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one more thing for me, I think what's also really important here is that, um, is learning that somebody is neurodiverse is really important. Um, because when somebody says like, I'm autistic or I'm on the spectrum, you can learn about like what's going on with them and really like kind of understand what's going on as opposed to, I don't really like social stuff that, that kind of puts you in a different sort of place. Um, or like if somebody's ADHD, you know, then you're like, if that person is spaced off or, you know, fucking with their dice or whatever, it isn't like, why don't you pay attention? It's, oh, okay, you're doing your ADHD stuff. That's fine. You right. know, or somebody's OCD. Like, uh, being being neurodiverse um, requires understanding. And the more, I, you know, I don't think anybody has to tell somebody that they're uh, on the spectrum or anything, but it's very different for somebody to be like, you know, I get distracted sometimes as opposed to somebody who's like, I have ADHD. Um, and I think having that conversation is important. And for the GM, it's very, very important to make sure just sort of keep that in mind so they can have a good time and that, you know, certain things make sense. Right. Yeah. And they, you know that there's an underlying reason why things are happening. So you don't just automatically get irritated because yeah. why is he always not not paying attention at the game? You know th- that sort of thing. So, all right. Thank you, uh, Chris in Scotland, for that email. Hey, Kurt. Yeah. What's going on with your Kickstarter? Oh shit, man! It's going good. <laughs> Kate, Kate and I are blown away by the the response to to the lighthearted Kickstarter. I. Uh, we we just crossed. We're we're at twenty one thousand three hundred thirteen dollars. I just looked at it. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, that's that's beyond what we we didn't expect. We were going to hit our twenty k. That was like our pie in the sky number, and then we blew past it week one, and we are like just oh shit! What do we do? Uh, yeah, no, it's going really good. Um, if you don't know what lighthearted is, lighthearted is a uh, magical eighties RPG where you play. Uh, prep, jock, geek, rebel, or outcast, like those kids in the breakfast club, except you're just about to start Magical Community College. Uh, we wrote it because we wanted a game, a fantasy game about growing up and about relationships and about emotions in a different kind of fantasy world. 
and you know we wanted we got sick of people trying to run breakfast club D D games and so we made the fucking <laughs> game for it so you want to play that get this game <laughs> well that's why i did it i got sick of that but uh kate kate is uh kate's a psychologist so it's been really awesome working on this game with her, uh, writing a game about emotions and about growing up and how we experience the second coming of age uh, with her because she has a very, very specific understanding of how like we process uh, emotions and growing up and becoming adults and outgrowing the labels we had in high school and all that shit. So that's, right. all, the, that's all the cool shit in the game. Let me tell you, Matt, my favorite games are always the ones that allow you to learn something about yourself. Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, as a, as a kid, that's sort of like that kind of catharsis was the thing that really drew me to RPGs. If, you know, uh, it, it, if I wanted to be big and powerful, I could be big and powerful. If I wanted to be subtle and 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 maybe a little sinister, I could be subtle and sinister. I could explore all these things about myself that are difficult to explore in real life, and I I, I really enjoy games that. Uh, make me look at myself a little bit differently and uh, make me experiment with a factor of faction of my own mind in, in a different way. And, and, and that game really does that very well. And I did not know that your wife was a psychologist, and uh, but now it just makes a lot of things make sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, Neurodiverse. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, just, I, just backed, yeah. I just backed your game. Oh, thank you so much. I would have. Hey, y'all, we're at twenty-one thousand three hundred forty-nine dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I would have backed well, it, it higher, but they're all sold out. All of the higher things. So we added. I, I don't want to. I don't want to just turn this into me pitching, but we did add a stretch goal where we will add a deck of scene prompts paired with eighty songs, and if we hit that, we'll add a new tier that's a little higher where people can submit their own eighty song for me to write a game prompt, uh, a scene prompt about. <laughs> Awesome. Wait, they they give you an eighty song, or they write their own eighty song. They give me the name of an eighty song, and uh, I will write a scene prompt based on it. Because part of part of Lighthearted, it's written with the language of film and TV, and so a big part of the game is announcing what's what's on the soundtrack. Because you're 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 using camera angles, and you're describing the lighting, and you're you're saying what's like you're building a mood out of the in you know when you build a scene, and so. Part, the soundtrack is a big part of that, especially in emulating what 80s movies were. The soundtracks were always the best part. It's just people like you and people like Dave Kazay who have gone such a, done such a great job at sort of creating individual feels for their game. I mean, Spirit of 77 from Dave is very similar in the fact that when, when you build that, when you play it, you are there and you feel that style permeate oh, yeah. through every single square inch of that book. Uh, and you know, I, I love games like that that really have such a great feel because when you're writing a game, when you're running a game, it makes it so easy for you to just, just, I mean, I'm in that, I'm in that 60, 68 Barracuda, boom, as soon as I open up that book, I know exactly what I'm doing. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and, what the, and what I want things to feel like and give out. So, yeah, it's games like that that just really make me very happy in, in the sense that uh, I, I think that collaborative story, storytelling games are just the best than making stuff up off the fly like that but having parameters to be able to do so easily is, is, is just, that's making a great RPG oh yeah I, I love Dave Dave's actually I, I can blame Dave for me starting game design so uh, it's his fault <laughs> you don't like my designs there's a Dave's lot you can blame you can blame Dave for a lot of stuff <laughs> a lot of stuff yeah, I know I got the scars to prove it 
Oh, my. oh, and I didn't say uh, if if you want to if you want to go back lighthearted, you can do so by going to lighthearted dot games. Lighthearted one word dot games with an s. Lighthearted dot games. Yeah, I, I, where did you get the? Where did you find that subdomain? Games. Uh, I just got lucky. I tried to do lighthearted dot game, and GoDaddy was like, "Do you want games? It's only three dollars." Oh no! And I was kidding. like, wow. "Yes, thank you." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations, and uh, I hope it uh, goes up twice as high as it is now. Actually, yeah, eight so times. Much. I think I hope it goes up eight times more, but no more than oh. that. But no more. <laughs> no, we don't want to get rid of it. But yeah, congratulations. Very Thank exciting. Um, now I want to take titles of Jizz Whale uh, 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 songs. And oh, Jizzy Stardust? Yeah, I put them in my Star Wars game as uh, team cards. Oh, that killed me. That ki- I remember that. I, I laughed so hard at that convention show. No, I nearly vomited. I laughed so hard. I ended up getting like, almost a migraine from that. <laughs> so funny. It was almost too much for me to take, and uh, that saved them. <laughs> what were what were a co- do you remember a couple of the song titles? Uh, While my jizz gently wails, <laughs> um, uh, jizz ain't easy. Um, oh man, I can't remember the rest of them. I have you know what? I might have it. It's it's fine. <laughs> right. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Uh, exactly. I know the album cover was the white or the album was the white album. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when I let Kate pour my drinks before I sit down at a traveler game with Bill. That I should never let Kate pour my drinks. She pours real heavy. All right. Um, we got, I'll go ahead and read the last thing. Uh, we're going to skip the second email for time. Um, okay. uh, horror story from Allervant. Hey, Jackers. I have a horror story from my old gaming group in 2019. That doesn't seem that old. Uh, that really should have been avoided. It began a few months before I left. As a refresher, the group consisted of myself, a married couple who were gun enthusiasts, and moved to another time zone some years earlier. I mentioned them in my first Happy Jacks letter, and a jerk GM who was sexually harassing my character in a superhero campaign, and his wife, who seemed to take offense at my very presence. As a side note... Year, I think I remember. I think I remember this. As a side note, years uh, when the group started, uh, I wanted this to be my fa- quote unquote found family, warts and all, until I realized how toxic it was and how I was better off without it. I hope that others who are in similar sit- who are in a similar situation that I was in will learn from my mistake and leave those groups. The phrase "better than nothing" does not apply here. Jerk GM suggested bringing in his friend from their D&D group to run a campaign in Edition 3.5. At this point, I was really considering leaving, and I thought it would be a good idea to expand my gaming horizons. Uh, Haven't played D&D since there was basic and advanced versions. That's a long time ago. Uh, Plus, it meant less time with Jerk GM behind the screen. The idea for the campaign was that we would play non-human-like orcs, orcs, gnolls, and bugbears. Our homelands were being invaded by human settlers, and we would be given the choice between fighting the humans or heading east into the unknown to find new lands. 
I said I like the idea of being brave defenders of our land fighting back against invaders. The gun, gun enthusiasts and the GM agreed. Uh, his wife was silent. I had to miss the first session where we introduce our characters and meet at the Council of the Plains Tribes and formally make the decision of which route to take. Since this is a horror story, I think you can predict what happened. Between sessions, I made my character a goblin rogue and gave him a petty and vengeful personality. I planned for him to be a guerrilla fighter uh, to work in asymmetrical warfare, ready to do anything to drive out the humans from our lands. Even if that included burning houses, poisoning wells, and eating naughty children who went out into the night. When I came back, I learned that the group changed their minds, and they were now headed east to find the fabled lands of our ancestors. No one told me of the changes in plans, but the GM's wife said she preferred exploring. Personally, I felt this made the campaign too open-ended and preferred a campaign that would have been shorter, but with a, with a clearly defined goal. I made the best out of the situation until I left the group, a few months later, when the jerk GM said that if I objected so much to him harassing my character that he was going to stop giving her any kind of plot threat. I definitely remember that email, though. Uh, what do you think about giving a group of players such radically different choices as to where the campaign should go? Is it a good idea, or should the GM pick uh, pick on, and if the players object, suggest the other option. Drink, Allervant, P.S. The D&D GM seemed like an okay guy, but I didn't get, uh, but I didn't game enough with him to really judge what kind of person he is. So I'm not faulting him, except for maybe not telling me what the group decided when I was gone. But he might not have been on the ma- mailing list yet. So what what do you think about that? that this idea of having two extremely different directions you can go and and having the players decide that well i mean i think this situation right here is that one person didn't want to do what this guy wanted and then after the game convinced everybody else to do what she wanted is what it seems like and that's really where the frustration lies is that someone feels kind of stabbed in the back and made a character for a campaign that isn't happening right but, I mean, having, like, what kind of games you want? Do you want this, this, or this? Even if they're, like, really disparate, I think that's fine. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, a friend of mine did it in one of his campaigns really cleverly. Uh, so we were playing in uh, a game with sort of, like, they had a group of uh, sort of a Japanese mythics, mythos background. And before the game started, he asked us, just looked us straight in the eye, do you do this for the land? Or do you do this for the emperor? And you know, I, well, I do this for the country, uh, and not an individual emperor. And every he asked every single player, and everybody had slightly different answers. But at the end, the answer to that question was sort of the turning point as to which direction each individual player was going to go in that campaign. And it actually we ended up splitting exactly fifty fifty just out of happenstance and it turned into a, 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 a brawl between the player characters at the very end when it became sort of a philosophical point of which which way were you going to go um, I kind of like the idea of having a general idea of what you want your campaign to be and laying that out but 
allowing player choice to sort of change the direction things are going and maybe not being obvious about what those choices are and keeping it sort of in the background so people don't meta that type of, of thinking and actually it's more part of the, the narrative than than a player it's a character choice not a player choice at that point right but i don't have a problem with you sitting down and going what kind of game I mean, you want to play Yeah, I mean, it feels it feels like a session zero kind of question. Um, I think it and, was. I think it was because he said he missed the first session, so they right. must have had the conversation prior to that. I'm I'm thinking. I, I I know it's really not. It's not really hard, but it's there are a lot of choices you make to make a three five character, and so abandoning that character and making a new one is not always an easy choice, uh, and so. It does kind of suck that they didn't get no, they didn't, you know, get any information about. Hey, they decided to do the exploring thing. Maybe you should go check it out. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't see any problem with just asking the players. Do you want to do A, B, C, whatever? Uh, but then I would, I would make the conceit happen before the uh, players make characters, so that they actually had characters that wanted to go on the adventure that you end up with. I, I think it's just kind of poopy that. Uh, somebody was left out of the conversation when, when after things were thought to be settled. Yeah, um, that seems really backstabby, and I can totally see where where you know somebody'd be really hurt by that because that to me it's, it it feels like oh you're the only you were the problem with me getting what I want, so I waited till you were away and then I made the situation into what I want. Right, uh, and when you have people that are that uh, concentrated on getting what they want versus what everybody in the group wants to get. Those are people that are too selfish to be on my table, personally. I, I don't like that. I mean, talk to us, try to convince us of otherwise, or maybe talk to me and maybe I can come up with something that's 50-50 or some kind of compromise. But when you just try to manipulate people behind the scenes, that's just, uh, man, I, I, I hate that kind of politics. It, it really it really ends a group. It, it totally screws a group. Oh, yeah. Well, you and you left kind of not long after that. I, I, th- I respect that. Yeah. I... I as a GM, but given the choice between the two, I'm going to say let's let's do the stay and fight thing because that seems like a lot less game prep to me. Because <laughs> exploration games, I'm I'm in the middle of I'm, I'm working on a sort of like a narrative system for creating very quickly creating new worlds um, for like a science fiction exploration setting. Like let's say you get into a starship and you go to another galaxy. And every star system you go to is going to be different. There's there's nothing established, and I'm I'm trying to come up with it, it's it's actually it, it's a turning into a freaking monu- monumental task. But I'm trying to create basically something where you roll a few dice and it gives you sort of like a narrative structure to sort of describe what the world is like. It's like a planetary life path. Kind of, yeah. It's kind of like that, and um and yeah, it, it's. It's grow- It's getting bigger and bigger every time I work on it. But um, th- the reason I the reason I want to do that is because I-, I want to at some point run a science fiction game that takes place in an intergalactic civilization where there's like giant wormhole things that shunt you from one galaxy to another, and then you use you know jump drive or hyperspace or whatever to get between from from star system to star system in the other galaxies but you 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 there's you can't build that sort of sort of system uh, or that that sort of catalog of systems uh 
beforehand, A, you don't know what direction they're going to go. And it's just a t- that's a huge amount of work. So I'm trying to come up with something where you put together. Yeah, yeah, yeah Jolene says it. it, it, it I don't want to run Star Trek, but because Star Trek takes place in one galaxy. But um, because I, I was thinking something along the lines of maybe like uh, like uplift, which is five galaxies, if I recall the, the civilization. But something along on that sort of a scale. And you you just can't come up with all of those all of those worlds ahead of time. Well, it possible. could have been a factor in this that the GM decided like, well, this person really kind of wants this, and it would be easier for me. Uh, okay, you know you know what? <laughs> you might be right because it could be like just just a little bit lazy, like me as a GM. <laughs> and then <laughs> decided to go that direction. He started putting it together and going, oh crap. This was a great idea, but man, this is going to be a lot of work. Right. And then, you know, just uh, look for the easiest out at that point. Uh, hey, Stu. Yes. Did you ever play an 80s video game called Starflight? Starflight. I don't recognize that name. It's a space exploration game uh, where, you know, um, and it's it's the eighties, so it's really crappy graphically, but it's actually a really interesting system. And I think you might—I mean, I'm sure you can download it for nothing somewhere. Um, but you might find that fun, just because that's almost a, exactly the sort of uh, kind of caveat that you're dealing with: is that you don't know any of these planets, and you're just going from bit to bit to see what's there and what you can get out of it, and etc. Oh really? Okay, I'll look at it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's worth your time. Trust me on this. It, cool. It's quite good. As is the sequel. It's called Starflight. Starflight. Uh, There's a Starflight yes, two. One word. As well. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I played that back yeah, on um, Andy, I think. Yeah, I think it was released in like eighty-five or eighty-six. Oh, that's. Uh, I remember there was a game called Elite. And it was a that vector. Was later. I think that was earlier. I, cause I should remember playing that when I was in high school, and I graduated in '84. I think I was in high school. I'm not because I, I played on. I Commodore. remember playing Neuromancer on my Apple II GS as a <laughs> for the chemistry teacher, and I was supposed to be uh, feeding the Python and creating papers, but I would just be playing. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> <laughs> oh my! No, we we, we had a Python. And, uh, you know, mine's more like a garden, garter snake, but the school had a python. Uh, <laughs> and I had to feed it because I was the only one that was not squeamish about uh, throwing animals to be eaten by, by the snake. Because I guess I'm slightly sociopathic. I have no But uh, <laughs> I think it had more to do with the fact that it was 2GS and I was, at, I was sick of the, two, uh, of the 2Es. So I wanted some graphics down there. Yeah. <laughs> no no that- green monochrome. Was nope. it, oh, was that the, the is that the Apple II that was color? Yeah, the Apple II GS, the graphics and sound version. That okay. actually looked like a Mac. That, that it was a little box with three and a half inch floppy. I was totally blown away because it was like upgrading to an Amiga from a Commodore. It was similar. <laughs> I'm aging myself. <laughs> so I'm going to shut up now. All right. uh, on that note, I'm going to say good night. Thank you, Steve. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Mm-hmm. And good luck. Stay safe. We'll know in a couple days. All righty. Um, okay. Uh, anything else on, anyone wants to mention on this or anything else anyone want to talk about? Or should I go, go ahead and end it? 
I dug up uh, Laser Printed Hero, so I'll play it at the end of the show. So, uh, you know, I'll, laser Plated Hero. Laser pl- that was it. Laser Plated Hero. You t- <laughs> <laughs> Where is it? There it is. I'll start. I'll start it. I'll use that as my outro music. How's that sound? Sounds great. He looks upon the landscape. Thank you for joining us for season twenty-eight, episode four of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. I'm Kurt. I'm Jim. And this is Happy. And we'll see you next week at uh, seven p.m. Pacific time on Friday. HappyJacks.org/live. Until then, stay safe. Thank you very much. And we'll leave you with this song. He gently calms his battle steed as he reaches for his dice. Cause a roll you did